You know who's got the hardest job tonight? Javier Bardem and his wife are both nominated. Now, if she loses, he can't win! <laughs> he is praying that Will Smith wins. Like, please, Lord! Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it, all right? That was a nice one, okay. I'm out here, uh-oh, Richard. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. That was a greatest night in the history of television. Okay. Okay. Oh boy. Otherwise, probably can't be Chuck D. Bring the noise. Fifth End Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Some have had worse week than others. <laughs> I don't even want to shit. Oh, boy. Honestly, I've... Gee, okay, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll, we're going to get into it. I've had a decent week, yada, yada, yada. Celebrated my dad's birthday a couple, few days ago. Took some good pictures, went to the Emirates and had uh, for, and force-fed, uh, force-fed Arsenal history and uh, went to the Bob Marley One Love exhibit, which I talked about almost good a month or so ago. I finally went in the Satchi Gallery and uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was outstanding. Um, you do have like another week or so if you're in the UK um, or if you're anywhere, if you want to come to the UK and peep it, um, it's at the Satchi Gallery. I think it's uh, finishing up at 7th of April, don't quote me on that, but it's sometime in April. I think it's 13th of April actually, I think it's mid-April, so you have plenty of time. If you want to go peep, please go peep, it's actually really good, I highly recommend it. If you just uh, want to be just injected with, you know, Bob Marley and the Wailers constantly in your ear, stuff like that, it's great. But I don't want to waste time, I want to spend as much time as possible on this. And I don't know why, but it's very fascinating and it's so multi-layered that I just, I just, I'm, I've been, I've been waiting days to peel it, I've been, it's, oh, I've been waiting days to peel this, man, peel the fuck out of these layers, okay, so let's jump right in, but for mercies, before we begin, email to the IG, this will link all that, all that, in the full show notes, please go peep the articles for yourself, give them read, and support the writers that make this show possible, and with that said, let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where new male birth control pill is found to be 99% effective in mice, so cool. 
the Academy Awards come and go with one very noble highlight. Uh, Met Police issues 20 fines for COVID-19 breaches in Downing Street. And as I speak, Boris Johnson is still in job. Don't know how that works. We're here still for some reason. Uh, 18-year-olds in Spain are going to receive 400 euros in culture vouchers. So they get 400 400, uh, euros. I nearly said quid for some reason. 400 euros um, to, you know, hit up festivals, buy music... Any any art consumption, any culture consumption, and I want that so fucking desperately. I want that so desperately. Um, Bruce Willis, and lastly, Bruce Willis, is forced to retire from acting after being diagnosed with aphasia. I think it's aphasia. Uh, A-P-H-A-S-I-A. So, aphasia. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a really just a, a fascinating, just a... a outcome to be honest I, I looked it up and i was just like right that's a really that's that's bad um but that probably makes the reason why he's been um if you haven't noticed um i don't know why you'd notice if you look up his imdb like you constantly refresh every day but he's uh been acting in mad like you know mid-tier films um just films that you just you, you just won't see for whatever reason like straight to streaming or whatever i don't know how they're doing it now um but yeah he's been film he's been acting in mad mid films for the past year just a flurry of them and uh, that's probably why, because um, if you, I mean, look it up, look up what aphasia does to does to a boy. Um, it basically just renders him useless to be an actor um, in general. So, um, yeah, unfortunate for Will, uh, uh, Bruce Willis. And um, speaking of Will, uh, <laughs> fuck, it's already on the mind, man. It's already on the mind. I can't help it. I can't help it. It's just too juicy, bro. Right, so... I've got about five minutes of talking so far. Um, four minutes if you discount the actual video itself at the start of the episode. So I want to dedicate at least, at least 15 minutes. Because obviously that's how I usually break up these segments and make it up into an hour. Do the math. So I want to dedicate at least 15 minutes. And I'm try- I'll try not to go over that. To peel back as many layers to this Will Smith smacking Chris Rock class him in the in the face uh during the oscars i i'm going i'm going to peel back as many layers as possible i'm going to start very very zoomed in and i'm just going to briefly bit by bit hopefully i'm trying i'm going to try not to get ahead of myself but i'm going to briefly cover as much ground as i can mentally because there have been there are many many layers to this honestly and if you don't think there are Stay fucking tuned. I'm going to try and do this properly, okay? So, uh, we'll see how this goes. So, I've got the timer on my phone. I'm going to start right now. Boom. Okay, let's get started. So, the smack itself was absolutely glorious. Like, just a slaps go, pure Ottoman slap. Mate, Will Smith rebirthed the Ottoman Empire with that slap, bro. It was absolutely clean. Clean slap, absolutely clean slap on Will's part. But on the same side, on the other side, Chris Rock took that like a fucking champ, man. Absolute champ. Hands behind his back. Didn't lose like too much balance. Like if you got, if you get, if you have your hands behind your back, right? You'll send, uh, um, you know, I'm not on UFC fire or anything, right? So don't take my word too much for it. Take it with a pinch of salt. But, you know, if you have your ha- hands back, you can't, like, you know, you, use, you know, we use our hands to steady ourselves. You know what I mean? That's why that's why people do the things with their arms out when they're trying to, like, you know, be on a trapeze wire and stuff like that. Or balance beam, right? You use your arms to balance. So if you have your hands behind your back, you're, you know, your, ban- your center of gravity is going to be a bit off, right? So he took that clap. He took that client in the face. 
Pan's mind is back, and he just went. He, he just firmed that. He just firmed that. So, first of all, shout out to Chris Rock just affirming that slap and not falling to the fucking floor. Okay. So let's let's okay. Let's peel back another layer. So, as it pertains to Will, um, uh, you know, going up. My question immediately. This is my first. This is my first immediate thought because I I got no sleep during this night for some reason. It was just one of those nights. I just I was just completely restless. Could not sleep. Didn't sleep till like six a.m. Right. So I saw this um, pretty much live on Twitter. Right. And I was seeing the reaction live. Um, so my my first initial thought was why didn't he? Why was it one slap? Why didn't he just like you know two piece him? Like you know what I mean? Why 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 didn't he just like deck him? You know what I mean? Like goosh or suplex him? Like why didn't it escalate further? And the same on Chris Rock's side. I mean, I feel like on Chris Rock's side it was probably just because like either either shock, right? You know, a lot of people, a lot you know, a lot of dudes, right? Let's be real, are going like, well, bro, if you if you smack me in front of it, you know, in this stage, and I'll, I'm coming for you, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, don't, don't don't turn around. I'm gonna drop kick you in the back if you do that. You know what I mean? So I can I can see where people come from when it comes to you know Chris's reaction. I feel like it was pro- it was a you know in the long in the long run probably the best reaction possible that Chris did. Um, you know some people were like oh you know if I if if I'm not gonna fight him I'm gonna do some more stand up. I'm gonna go in on the whole family right and that's. That's fair. I can see that, right? Right? I can I can imagine that. Um, but you know, in terms of dip- diplomacy, I feel like Chris Rock probably did the best thing possible for all parties involved. Okay. Um, and you know, just said and, and said it pretty succinctly, and was very in the moment saying that was the greatest night in the history of television. Um, you know, if if he said moment, that would have been better. But you know, greatest night in history, not far fucking off, not far fucking off, because this is going to be a very, very, very memorable event. Um, and I'll try and get to that when I peel back some more layers and we zoom out a little bit as it pertains to you know the entire thing. Um, but let's zoom out one more. T- let's zoom out one more time, right? So, uh, will coming at Chris, right, in general, okay. Now, if you watch the video itself, right, you know, he initially laughs at the joke, and we clock that, right? Um, and then, you know, you see Jada, and she vis- visibly cringes. Now, we'll get to the, we'll get to that side of it very soon, okay? I'll try and get to that. Um, so, Will, on Will's side, zooming out again, his reasoning for doing the slap, right, was, in my mind, very, very egotistical in some ways, and very, uh... An emotional collapse in some way, you know what I mean? A momentary lapse of emotional intelligence, you know what I mean? To to come up to a dude on live TV where I would say I would say millions are watching, um, but uh, it was actually the second lowest <laughs> viewing figures in an Oscars ceremony um, in history. Um, the lowest being last year's. Um, so you know. Not many millions, but obviously, you know, Twitter and social media, you know, amplify that a lot. Um, so take that what you will. So millions of people watching, um, whether it be live or, you know, seconds after or minutes after or hours after or days after, as obviously we're getting into. Um, I feel like on Will's side, that was very egotistical and, like I said, e- uh, an emotional, you know, lapse in judgment. Um, he could have easily, like, you know, gone up to him and just go, like, keep my, literally, like you said, keep my wife's name on your fucking mouth, or we'll have a problem, you know what I mean, like, you know, be, be, 
not professional about it, but you know, be be a man about it. You know, what I mean, just like go up to him, and just go like, bro, I sw- do one more fucking joke, I'm gonna slap the shit out of you, right? But he literally just came up and clapped him, right? And that's an emotional lapse of just just emotional collapse, right? You know, just a momentary one. Um, but I can see why people would be uh, are supporting Will in that fashion of just going like, you know, oh, he's protecting his lady, you know, alpha male things. I don't subscribe to that. That's probably why I'm single. Who knows? But, <laughs> but, but you know, I can, I, I get it. I get that. I get that layer. Right? It's, it's, it's fine. Um, on Chris's side, on the pertain, uh, pertaining to the joke itself. Right. So let's peel back a layer on that. Let's add some context to that joke. Right. So, and I'm not a joke. I'm not a comedian. So I'm not gonna, you know, break down the joke itself. Um, or maybe I will. Who knows? Let's see how I go. I'm fine. I'm about six minutes in. So. I think the joke was mid. The joke was mid. It wasn't great. It's not Chris Rock's best joke ever, right? It was a bit, you know, it was, it was a bit whack. It wasn't great. Um, and I've seen, in, in a te- and I'm going to pull back the layer again a little bit, there have been people um, talking about, um, you know, there's been good commentary on The Voice especially. Um, I've seen a couple of good articles from there. Um, if you want to go peep that, I've actually, um, I'm actually going to reference a, a Voice article later. Um, but, you know, they, there was one. There was one uh, uh, by by a woman saying like, um, you know, it's it's tired talking about. I'm touching my mic. Sorry, um, talk, tired of talking about black women's hair, right? And I get that. I get that. You know, black men making jokes about black women. It's a thing. Um, you know, you could consider that punching down, and you know, that's something that is kind of just um, you know, uh, is a bit distasteful. You know, a la Dave Chappelle punching down on trans people, right? It's it's not it's not the greatest look ever, right? So you can see Chris coming at Jada like that, and you can see that as a t- as punching down, right? And I can I can understand where women, especially black women, are seeing this whole thing and feeling bad for Jada, right? But on the flip side. If you have someone like Jada Pinkett Smith and and the Smith family in general that are so open as it pertains to their um, as it pertains to their lifestyle, their celebrity status, and putting everything literally everything out on their own reality talk show, I mean, shit. What do you expect Chris Rock to do? Not talk about it? Now there was a report that Chris Rock was unaware that Jada Pinkett Smith had alopecia, and I feel like that's important context because if that is true. Then I feel like the joke in Chris's in Chris's mind is all for it because you know you see you see her the shaved head GI Jane it tracks right uh, and Chris Rock did a documentary um, about black women's hair called Good Hair ages ago I think like the start of the, the start of the century um, so you know I think he's acutely aware of that kind of thing um, as it pertains to black women and why it's so and why black hair is so has has this really deep rooted spiritual importance to black women right and for something and for someone like Jada Pinkett Smith um and others to have some to have alopecia which is you know not life threatening but it is but, but again spiritual importance as it pertains to black women and their hair right some of you just won't get it right and that's it is what it is you're just going to have to do some do your googles on that front of why it's so important but it, if someone has, if a black woman has alopecia, then you know th- she didn't ask to have alopecia. She didn't ask to be bald. You know what I mean? So I can see where people come from. Where Chris said, where people say, Chris, that is a shit joke, and that was uncalled for. I get that. I completely get that. But let's pull the layer back once more. 
Chris Rock has done a Jada's joke before um, when he hosted the Oscars a couple of years ago, and that was more about um, the Smiths uh, boycotting uh, the whole event, and basically the gist of the joke, if you haven't seen it, is that uh, Chris Rock was just like, um, you weren't invited, and, you know, that's, that was basically the joke, and that's fine, right, that's a fine joke, that you can see the levels here in 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 these, in these two specific jokes, right, you can see that, so... Um, I feel like Chris was probably, you know, and let's pull the layer back once more, right? I feel like nobody wins in this. Zero people. And I don't think there's any sides to take here, honestly, right? I can see every single side. And this is why the whole thing is so fascinating to me as a, just a a moment in, uh, as a moment in time, right? Um, nobody wins here. Uh, nobody... I don't think nobody comes out on top here. Um, you know, nobody wins, nobody loses. I get everybody loses in some way. Uh, I, I just don't think it's. I just don't think it's a uh, event that is to be celebrated. You know what I mean? It can be memed to shit, and it has been memed to shit. Jesus Christ! Um, which brings me to another layer. Going back to Will, um, there's actually a song I found. <laughs> there's a song I found. Um, he, uh, an album of his uh, dropped uh, on this day, as I record. Um, I'm just going to look it up right quick, uh, just to see if I just to just to be sure. Um, uh, where is it? Da, 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 da. Right, it's called uh, Mr. Nice Guy. Right, and it's off the album uh, Lost and Found, dropped in 2005. Go read the lyrics to that, or just go listen to the song. And it tracks a lot as it pertains to Will Smith's mindset in 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 so in the in the. Uh, in the realm of him just being slighted, right? Look at Will Smith from a very... Let's zoom more out on Will Smith, right? Because him as an artist, as a person, has probably been slighted in a lot of ways, right? He's... he's uh, When he was in his rap career, he was the nice guy. There's actually a good video uh, by Murs a couple of years ago uh, via Hip Hop DX, I think. Um, and he basically called Will Smith the Darth Vader of rap, and it was a very fascinating, um, just subject matter and a fascinating video. Go peep that if you want to peep. Um, but basically, you know, if you don't know, I mean, if you, <laughs> I don't know how old you are if you don't know if Will Smith was a rapper, but you know, Will Smith was the clean rapper. He didn't swear, right? He, he you know, his he won a he won the first rap Grammy. Right for people just don't understand if I remember correctly, um, around that time anyway. So and his biggest song was people just don't uh, parents just don't understand. Right, it's very it's very for the for the kids. You know what I mean? Like hey kids, you know it's not it's not hood. It's nothing like that. And I and Will Smith has never been considered that. You know what I mean? Um, apart from the West Philly shit, which people kind of uh, project to him, project on him. And that's kind of a thing. I haven't read his book, right? I'm not planning to read his autobiography. But from what I've heard, it's very, very open. And it's very kind of just like... Uh, I mean, I tweeted this the day after. I was like, it must be fascinating to be a Will Smith therapist. Because there's a lot in his head, I can imagine. And there's a lot of neuroses there. Um, not to be, not to act like a therapist, but there's genuinely... I mean, bro, he, had an, he slapped someone on live TV in the fucking Oscars. You know, he, he can't be... <laughs> he ain't solid, okay? He ain't that solid, right? Um, clearly. So, you know, I can, I can, while I can see why Will did it, um, I 
still I, I I'm in the camp of he probably shouldn't have and it was probably very silly to do, honestly. Um I think honestly it marks him more than it marks Chris. Um people will forget a joke, but people won't forget the dude uh uh, you know, slapping another dude, performing violence on another person, and you know, I'm not that person that's like clutching pearls over, ooh, slap, ooh, no, oh gosh, I just witnessed 9-11 again, it's like, no, it's not like that, right, it's a, it's a slap, and it will be remembered, um, I think negatively, but then he went to, and for me personally, the fact that he went ahead and won the Best Actor Award, and then basically gaslighted the whole thing by saying like, you know, love can make you do crazy things, I'm just like... I don't know, bro. I feel like that was a bit of a cop-out. I feel that whole speech was a bit of a cop-out, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, it is is a bit... I, f- I, I found that speech more damaging than the slap itself. I was just like, bro, you can't come like that. I don't I don't think. Like, you know, he apologised to the Academy. He did eventually apologise to Chris um, on, on IG, but... Eh, I just feel like the, the speech itself was a bit whack. I, I feel that. Um, but, um... Yeah, I feel like the overall point. I've got about a minute to minute or so to go. So, I feel like the overall, the whole event, while you know, is going to be meme to meme to Helen back, right? And you know, that's fine. That's, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's fine. I can't. I can't. Con- I can't contextualize meme culture anymore. It's it's so it happens so fast that it just sends me into a tailspin, and like you just kind of just have to enjoy the ride. Um, but there's so many existential thoughts I have about meme culture, but that's for another uh, segment, another day. Um, but while while this be you know be obviously a very memorable moment, I feel like this this isn't something that again I don't think it should be celebrated in any way I feel like it's detrimental in a lot of ways um more so to will than anything um but I feel like he probably just in, in some ways snapped right you know you have all these decades of people slighting you going like oh he's soft he's soft he's the soft guy you know what I mean he's lovable uh you know Jada wanted Tupac and then he then she went for the soft guy and Will you know it, he, he he definitely sees that shit he definitely hears that shit you know what I mean and the August jokes as well those came in as well right you know it, it's it's like I mean Will Smith, you know, he's he's in a good, uh, he's in a, you know, objectively a good place, right? He's Will fucking Smith, right? It's not like he's, you know, you know, he's su- he may be suffering in some ways, but overall he ain't like, you know, suffering in the worst ways possible, right? Um, but, you know, there's genuinely, I feel like there's genuinely some neuroses there. I feel like for Jada, I feel like she's probably the most um, innocent party here. Um, I did say that, you know, if you're going to put your business out on the street, then comedians should roast you or, or can roast you. I feel like they have the part, the, the, the green light to do so. They're comedians, right? But as it pertains to black women and black women jokes and black women hair jokes, that was very mid and probably just, you know, a bit, bit whack on Chris's side. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've gone over 15. I'll leave it at that, but fuck me, man. Absolutely just outstanding just an outstanding moment in history um just culturally absolutely fascinating and I've, i don't i still don't think i've covered as much ground as i wanted to but regardless we'll move on
So let's get into something a little bit different and we'll hop into history and this is all about um, the uh, recent uh, trip in the Caribbean trip that uh, Prince William and uh, Kate uh, went on, uh, went to Jamaica and other places. Um, and there was a speech that uh, Will made, uh, the Duke of Cambridge, um, I should be official, uh, excuse me, he, he made um, about the transatlantic slave trade. Um, so I wanted to read this um, piece um, by uh, Sinai Fleary um, off The Voice, and it's called William's Profound Sorrow is the New Statement of Regret. Uh, all quotes, quote unquote, profound sorrow, quote unquote, um, statement of regret, quote unquote. But where is the apology for slavery? Um, so let's jump right in because y- y- you know I want the royals to go. Uh, the Duke of Cambridge has expressed, uh, quote-unquote, profound sorrow for slavery, but failed to apologise for Britain's role in the transatlantic slave trade. During his speech in Kings and Jamaica, Prince William said slavery was, quote, abhorrent, and, quote, it should never, it should have never happened, unquote, but, <laughs> but stopped short of apologising. Uh, Sis Esther Stanford... Ah, oh, the X always throws me off. I'm going to say Chose... Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, might be something else, but it's X-O-S-E-I, so I'm going to say Chose, um, is Coordinator General of the Stop the Mangamizi Campaign, uh, which aims to highlight the atrocities faced by African people and people of African descent globally. Speaking to The Voice, she, she said the Duke's comments are nothing more than fancy words that mean nothing. She said, quote, There was no show of remorse in actuality. It is once again an attempt to distort history and absolve themselves of contemporary responsibility, unquote. Miss Stanford Chose is a key reparations activist and is the official spokesperson for the African uh, Emancipation Day March Committee, who have been organising an annual reparations march in London since 2014. She said, quote, a, uh, a big part of reparations is about the recognition of harm and actually stopping the harm, unquote. Miss Stanford Chose said conversations about slavery reparations should be spearheaded by those who are descendants of the enslaved and not those who have quote unquote benefited from it. She said, quote, he cannot apologize for an institution of enslavement that has continued uh, on throughout the generations and for which he is still benefiting. For there to be a genuine apology, it has to be one of substance that is linked to material and structural changes and more importantly, systemic change throughout society. It is time for the monarchy to relinquish ill-gotten gains derived from the trafficking of enslaved African people, paying us some trinkets uh, when they maintain the lion's share of the wealth and the global power to keep hold of the pa- of their power for generations to come is not good enough, and we need more than that, she added. Uh, Prince William made the speech at a black tie dinner hosted by Patrick Allen, Governor General of Jamaica, at King's House in Kingston uh, last night. And obviously this uh, dropped a few days ago, 24th of March. Uh, he said, quote, I strongly agree with my father, the Prince of Wales. Uh, what? My father? Okay. Uh, I... Sure. Uh, I strongly agree with my father, the Prince of Wales, who said in Barbados last year that the appalling atrocity of slavery forever stains our history. I want to express my profound sorrow. Uh, oh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got confused who was talking. Um, the slavery was abhorrent and it should never have happened. While the pain runs deep, Jamaica continues to forge its future with determination, courage and fortitude. The strength and shared sense of purpose of the Jamaican people represented in your flag and motto celebrate an invincible spirit. Unquote. 
Britain has a long record of dancing around the word sorry for being the world's largest enslaver and profiteer of kidnapped Africans. In 2001, the then Prime Minister uh, Tony Blair sent a minister to a United Nations conference on slavery to argue that it was legal at the time. Six years later, during the bicentenary of abolition, Mr. Blair admitted to a mainly black invited audience in Downing Street that he had been advised by government lawyers to not to apologise for fear of opening the door to legal action for reparations. Mr. Blair told the reception, quote, if you can't apologise for slavery, what can you apologise for? He issued a, quote, statement of regret, unquote, uh, which angered activists for stopping short of a full apology. Mr. Blair wrote, quote, it is hard to believe what would now be a crime against humanity was legal at the time, unquote. Uh, Miss Stanford Chose uh, welcomed the idea of Jamaica removing the Queen as a head of state and it said it's time to, quote, let go of all the relics of empire and finish the unfinished task of liberation and decolonization, which is still to happen in Jamaica and other parts of the Caribbean, unquote. In an interview with The Voice last year, Miss Stanford Chose said CARICOM uh, had been making steps towards uh, reparations since 2013 and had no luck with their requests over the last nine years. She claimed Professor Hilary uh, Beckles, uh, chairman of the CARICOM Reparations Commis- Commission uh, (CRC), uh, said the uh, how do you how do you have an abbreviation inside an abbreviation? That's crazy. Never seen that before. Uh, what was that? Uh, said the European countries which had been approached were "quote unquote" not listening. Uh, the discussions on reparations have been prevalent amongst groups like Pan-Africanists, Rastafarian cr- uh, community, and the Nation of Islam in the Caribbean and UK for decades. Ms. Stanford Chose welcomed the highly publicised protests in Belize and Jamaica and said they reflect the mood of ordinary people. She urged African and Caribbean communities to seek, quote, proper education about history of slave trade to, support, uh, to quote, support the growing course for reparations. She also said, uh, we need to have a proper but broader sense of what was lost, what was taken, so we know what we are entitled to and how we can seek to obtain it. There are initiatives such as the uh, Mangamizi Educational Trust that are doing that kind of work and supporting the recently established All-Party Parliamentary Group for African Reparations, unquote. Uh, the monarch also acknowledged the contributions of the Windrush generation, quote, who came to the United Kingdom to help rebuild after the Second World War. And I do have a long read coming, um, I think, next week um, about uh, about Windrush generation and uh, specifically barrel children, if you want to go peep that next week, uh, next Friday, hopefully. Uh, where was that? Uh, he added, uh, quote, we are forever grateful for the immense contribution that this generation and their descendants have made to British life, which con- which con- uh, continues to enrich and improve society. I am delighted that a national monument acknowledging and celebrating the Windrush generation by Jamaican artist Basil Watson will be unveiled later this year in Waterloo Station in London. I think I have voted on that. I think I did. I did. A, I did like a. I saw like there was a vote going around about like uh, picking a statue, um, in a uh, Waterloo. So I think I've seen that before, actually. Uh, anyway, the couple are scheduled to fly to the Bahamas today. Yep, yep, Royal Caribbean. Obviously, that happened. It's been and gone. Uh, however, ahead of their arrival, the Bahamas National Reparations Committee also demanded reparations ahead of their arrival. <laughs> Shout out to the Bahamas. Uh, in a statement uh, published on Tuesday, said, uh, uh, quote, we are not beholden to the British monarchy in any way, and we do not owe them a debt of gratitude for anything, not for our culture, religion, or system of government. Instead, the monarchy has looted and pillaged our land, and our people for centuries, even are struggling with underdevelop- uh, underdevelopment let to left, I seem to say, mean left, it says let, but it's left to pick up the pieces. Uh, statement added, we are tired of paying literally with our lives for the maintenance of a paradigm in which we are exploited so others could be exalted. It is time now for reparatory justice. 
the time the time is now for reparations unquote the statement also questioned whether the visit would any, would have any benefit to local Bahamians uh, bah- Bahamians Bahamians yeah Bahamians I'd, uh, yeah, I forget I usually say Bayesians, but anyway. Uh, the statement asks, quote, However, once William and Kate have passed over the newly paved roads driven by the freshly painted balls and waved to the school children who have been pulled out of their classes to stand and watch them go by, what will Baha- Bahamian uh, people uh, be left with? Unquote. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I've never really understood these fucking tours, to be honest. I'm just like, why Why are these tours even going down? Like, who the fuck should care? You know what I mean? Like, even even um, yesterday, um, uh, the Queen came through for, like, her first engagement since she got COVID um, for, like, a Prince William... Uh, Prince William... Uh, Prince Philip's, uh, I forget what they called it, like memorial service. I, I don't know. Um, and there were people outside going, like being interviewed by Channel Four, going like, "Oh, did you see the Queen? Not yet, not yet." Like, do you not have jobs? What are you doing here? Go away. Do something else. Like, why are there? Pe- why are there always people like treating these? This is this is why this is why I remember reading. And I'll 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 I'll, start, I'll I'll make I'll just make this point and move on after this. But um, there was a there was an article I read a few like a year ago, uh, last year anyway, um, about uh, uh, it was it was around the time actually of um, the uh, Harry and Meghan Oprah uh, Oprah interview, um, <clears throat> and uh, there was an article I read from that I read around that, which basically made the argument that the royals and celebrities now, uh, well, celebrity culture now is like the new aristocracy. Um, you know, above the, you know, working on the foundations that the royals had. Um, so, like, you know, how the royals were kind of like the original celebrities in that way. Now, celebrity culture is pretty much like an aristocracy in that way, where they can, you know, dip off and they'd be fine because they're in the aristocracy now. Um, they're, they're bulletproof, you know what I mean? Harry and Meghan are fine. They're, they're, they're going to be fine. Even now, um, during that memorial service I referenced uh, the other day, Prince Andrew was there side by side with the queen so he ain't exactly fucked either you know what i mean he's fine he, he, he you know he made his uh, he made his uh, he gave his money to virginia Dufresne and the cherries and whatever right and he's kept it moving he may, may have been stripped of his official titling but who gives a fuck about that why is he okay he's still fine he's still living large he must be fine like you know what i mean this is this is the point right I don't get, and my main point was, why do these things even go down? Like, who cares? Like, I, I, I don't, do Jamaicans care? Do the, do the people of the Bahamas care? The Belize? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why do people, why, why are they constantly touring the fucking Commonwealth? I know, I mean, partly because they have nothing fucking else to do. Imagine that. But, <clears throat> yeah, mate. I mean, shout out to, shout out to Jamaica and Belize and Bahamas, man. Just for, just for, Taking these people to task because like, I'll be if I live there I'll be just like why why are you coming here go away like if you you, you come for reparations no all right fuck off get back on the plane you know what I mean like, just, like simple simple as that like give me some reparations bro this is beyond time for this uh, but th- this is the thing how are we gonna get reparations they can't even apologize for fucking slavery they can't even apologize for it uh, they took they took the, fuck the government took nearly a hundred years to apologize for the Amritsar massacre. Um, you know what I mean? So, shit, man. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. This is this. If you ain't giving reparation, if you ain't there to give reparations, get the fuck back on the plane. Too.
Okay, let's hop into our second film uh, segment, and this is all about um, missing films. Um, this is, this really jarred me actually when I initially read the uh, initially read the headline for this. Um, so this is called "We Can't Afford to Lose Them: The Fight to Bring uh, Missing Movies Back." Um, so yeah, this is by Noah Gittel uh, via the Guardian. Let's jump right in because um, it's actually crazy and um, kind of sets a bad could potentially set a really bad precedent um, if we don't switch this up. Uh, if if you know, I don't know, I don't know who the powers that be in this situation would be. Maybe streamers or just um, you know just general archivists, I guess. But yeah, somebody has to pull their finger out. So let's jump right in. Uh, the Heartbreak Kid. Uh, Elaine May's uproarious 1972 comedy celebrates its 50th anniversary this year, but if you want to hold an honorary screening at your house, there's no, no legitimate means for you to do so. The film about a newlywed, uh, played by Charles Grodin, um, who falls for a beautiful blonde, Sybil Shepherd, on his honeymoon, uh, is not available on any streaming service. It's no longer being produced on DVD or Blu-ray, and not even Netflix's old DVD-by-mail service has a copy on hand. Uh, there are a few uh, used discs available for purchase from individual sellers, but that's a risky and expensive proposition. Your only real option is to watch a pirated copy on YouTube, where it looks awful. Uh, the reason you can't see the Heartbreak Kid legitimately is because a pharmaceutical company doesn't want you to. Bristol Myers Squibb owns the rights to the film, a holdover from the brief period in the 1970s when its executives decided it would be cool to be in the movie business. In 2021, what? That's so confusing. In 2021, the company has announced no plans to sell the rights to an actual distributor. It's strange. Even as Elaine May uh, has become a cause uh, celebre in film circles for her unappreciated work in the 1970s, The Heartbreak Kid is no closer to finding its its audience. Uh, This is where missing movies come in. A new advocacy organisation composed of filmmakers, distributors and film lovers. Missing Movies has a mission to, quote, uh, locate lost materials, clear rights, and advocate for policies and laws to make the full range of our cinema history available to all, uh, unquote. On its website is an initial list of missing movies, including The Heartbreak Kid, and the group has asked for help in expanding this list. Its initial goal is to draw attention to the problem, making viewers aware that the convenience of streaming service does not equate to widespread access to cinema history. Many films have already been lost, and without concerted effort, another great purge could be on the way. Quote, The popular conception among film fans is that 70-80% of silent films are missing. And that's true, says Dennis Doros of uh, Milestone Films and a member of the Missing Movies Working Group. I would say that the digital tsunami that's coming, uh, that could be just as viable a percentage of total uh, films unavailable in the world. Unquote. In 2017, film archivist at Martin Scorsese's The Film Foundation estimated that half of all American films made before 1950 are now lost, and none of the major movie major distributors are itching to find them. Streamer services may offer the appearance of infinite choice, but so many of them are increasingly focused on original programming, creating a bottleneck that squeezes out any film without a quantifiable audience. With algorithms deci- designed to show, uh, designed to only show viewers what they already want to see, there are frighteningly few ways for film to get back in. One such film is I Shot Andy Warhol, a 1996 biopic of Valerie Solanas, a radical feminist author who wrote manifesto during urging the killing of all men. <laughs> the fuck, really? I, oh, I need to look that up. That's, that sounds cool. Well, I can't because it's it's on here. Probably won't be able to see it now. Uh, and eventually tried to put her thesis into practice by shooting the titular guru of pop art. Despite winning an award at the Sundance Film Festival and earning uh, largely positive reviews, the film has suffered the fa- same fate as the Heartbreak Kid. It's simply not available. 
Its director, Mary Heron, who is part of the working group at Missing Movies, explains the problem succinctly, quote, most indie films are produced by small companies and most of them go bankrupt, unquote. This is especially true of films in the 80s and 90s, when new independent production companies were being created daily. Heron says I Shot Andy Warhol was sold three times before it was even released due to the ephemerality uh, of the film distribution business. Uh, It has been a struggle for her to even determine who owns her first film, let alone convince them to distribute or sell the rights to a company that will. Beyond the legal red tape, there are cultural issues that determine a film's availability. Quote, when you look at the kinds of films that are not available, explains Amy Heller, co-founder of Milestone uh, Film and Video, a boutique distribution company and missing movies, uh, you see documentaries about poor people, Native Americans, queer people, disabled people. These images are part of our world and we can't afford to lose them, unquote. Black directors are overrepresented on the list of missing movies, with films from Charles Burnett, Ozzy Davis, and William Greaves currently undistributed. Undistributed. Uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman, an Oscar-nominated film about a gay revolutionary, remains unavailable. While Denzel Washington star up Mississippi Masala, uh, an, uh, about an interracial romance in the American South, was missing for years until Criterion announced it would be adding the film to its collection this spring. Uh, for some, the issue of availability starts when a film is released. Is first released. If a film doesn't capture the zeitgeist, it becomes harder se- to secure its legacy. And female filmmakers like May and Heron are the perfect test cases. Their movies were celebrated at the time, but they both came up in eras where the press was distracted by new crops of male filmmakers and neither fit neatly into the narrative. May began making films when the new Hollywood crew of Scorsese, Coppola, uh, Spielberg and Lucas was soaking up all the attention while Heron burst onto the Sundance scene at the same time as Paul Thomas Anderson, David Fincher and Quentin Tarantino. Quote, uh, there was an unconscious bias to relegated films like mine, excuse me, or Elaine May's, uh, says Heron. Uh, and the things I was criticised for in I Shot Andy Warhol was, w- would be seen in a different light today, unquote. Female filmmakers already deal with challenges at every stage of production that men don't face. But it's shocking that in 2022, with the market for women uh, women directed films so well established, these filmmakers are still fighting to get their work seen. This is true of all uh, all films for filmmakers of all underrepresented demographics. But even if missing movies uh, films uh, get distribution, who will see them? When the Heartbreak Kid gets his long-awaited distribution, students of film history will celebrate its release like it's Christmas morning, but how will more casual fans even find it? Ajo Andy Warhol will surely show up on streaming service at some point, but will the young women with whom it might resonate uh, the most be able to find it there? For some, if it's not promoted or highlighted on the homepage, it might as well not exist. These are perhaps unsolvable problems that inherent in a movie landscape dominated by streamers. But at this point, simply saving movies from dustbin history is a worthy short, uh, short-term goal. Quote, These images are part of our world, according to Heller, and we can't afford to lose them. So yeah, man, I just found all this very jarring um, to think about. Um, you know, thinking especially about streaming, and you know, I've constantly, uh, I've, I've constantly, you know, done segments uh, close to streaming, and uh, you know, around that kind of world, and uh, you know, just um, just trying to get a hold of its historical significance of you know how people are using it. Um, you know, films that are you know, being shown in cinemas, but also at the same t- simultaneously being re- released on uh, streaming sites, and then therefore, how? Why would people go pay for it if they've got 
Netflix on lock uh, or HBO Max in America or whatever, right? Why would you go watch it in the cinema when you got it on TV and you can see it, you know, not not for free, but, you know, remotely for free, you know, streaming, you know what I mean? Subscription, all that, right? You can see it for a lower price, let's just say that. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's <sighs> I I I I mean in that ca- in the case of the eighties and nineties films, right, and um, you know pre let's say let's just say pre digital, right, um, you know it's gonna it's it's at a point where you know everything's on actual film, yeah, hence why it's called film, right, you know film reels, right. Um, if you ain't got those, then shit, you know what I mean if you ain't got any, and they and they're hard to upkeep, right. I think they require a certain solution to you know keep it fresh or whatever. Um, you have to store them in a certain way, um, but. You know, now I can see it not being too much of an issue in terms of just, like, trying to find a copy where, like, you know, the filmmakers themselves can have, uh, hopefully have, like, a, you know, a, a genuine copy, right? Just online, not online, but, like, on a hard drive or whatever, somewhere, right? And if if they missed a, if they lose the hard drive, like, move in house or whatever, then, then, then you're fucked, obviously. But, you know, the, the... <laughs> I I I, th- I thought about this also in terms of um, music streaming as well because there was something I was uh, uh, I was obviously editing uh, in search of source last uh, last week. Um, if you want to go peep that episode, and they were talking about streaming, um, and uh, there was a good point. I forgot who made it. It might be Jashima, um, but <coughs> um, you know, thinking about streaming, and you can apply this to film, right? Um, it's unless you have it physically, this is partly why I cop vinyl, okay, um, and I don't cop DVDs, admittedly, so, um, you know, it's partly, you know, in some ways my fault, in some ways for not preserving things, right, but, um, is what it is, right, I can only do so much, um, but streaming is a very finite thing, if you think about it, right, you see it as, we love to see it as, you know, this, uh, Oh, we get to listen to everything, right? Everything's there for us to 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 eat, right? Um, but especially for film and TV, algorithms rule the fucking world, man. You ain't you you you're gonna see what you want to see, right? Um, if you if you're gonna see if you saw one black film, or you know if you saw yeah if you saw one black film, you're gonna see a ton of black films, right? If you saw a Korean film, you're gonna see some Korean films, right? If you saw a Spanish film, you're going to see a lot of Spanish language films, right? It is what it is. They're just going to give you what you want because that's what the algorithm is supposed to do. They want to keep you there. They want to keep you watching, 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 right? Um, that's the point. And it's the same with social media, but you know, that's, uh, I don't want to mix metaphors um, or mix analogies. Um, so, you know, when it comes to music streaming, I was thinking about it, and I think it was Jashman that made the point where, you know, this shit can, this shit can go, like, boom. Like literally, the 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 base the base argument they were talking about um, the base argument for that was um, wait the base foundation the foundation for their conversation rather was that um, uh, Snoop took um, you know got Death Row got Death Row Records back and um, he took um, the Chronic and Doggy Style off streaming um, and obviously Kanye you know is doing that stem player shit. <clears throat> so that's the only way you can the only way you can get Donda two. Not that you want to get Donda two, from what I've heard. Um, but you know they're not on streaming. So and the 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 fact that Snoop Dogg can just take the Chronic and Doggy Style off streaming like that. Now I have Doggy Style and the Chronic on vinyl. So if I had a vinyl player, I'd be good, right? If I wanted to listen to it, I'd be fine. And I'm and I'm happy about that. 
Um, but most people don't. Most people see streaming as just a be-all and end-all. But all of this shit can go in a fucking flash if you don't have a hard copy. If you don't have it saved on your on your laptop. That's why some of these. Um, that's why sometimes when you cop a vinyl, you get a digital copy. Like you, you, you get a digital copy. There's a couple of um, di- there's a couple of albums I've gotten, and you know you, you get a digital code. You down and they give you the download, right? And that's 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 a that's. I can imagine that's as a as a basis for preservation, right? Where you know if it's ever becomes if it gets off streaming, if it's like De La Soul, right, and they're fighting with Tommy Boy to get their shit um to get their shit uh, back, right, to get their music back, and you know most of it's not on streaming. Um, uh, the, their old stuff anyway. Because of that, uh, you know, you can need if you want to listen to De La Soul, if you want to listen to Three Is the Magic Number, if you want to listen to Stakes Is High, you can need a cassette, a CD, or a vinyl. And it's the same. And, and I feel like the situation is probably even more dire for film and te- for film, uh, for film people because uh, you know, th- there's there's people that want to spin De La Soul, but there's not many people that want to spin um the Heartbreak Kid. You know, what I mean, there's not many people that want to spin "I Shot Andy Warhol," and that's part of the that's coming back to the article itself. So, um, yeah, <clears throat> I I just just know that streaming isn't the be all and end all, right? If you really genuinely like something, if you really hold it to heart, go find a hard copy before any of the shit can possibly go, right? If it's like a Kendrick album, but even when I said, right, I say that it's a, even if it's like a popular album, like a Kendrick album, right? That I'm looking at right now. Mate, Doggy Style and Chronic are are hip hop classics, and they're not on streaming. So any anybody can get it. Anybody can get the chop for whatever reason, whether it's for good reasons or not. Anybody can get the chop. So if you really, really, truly love something, this is why it's so important to get hard copies of shit or to get digital copies of shit at minimum. Just do your just do your due diligence, and hopefully, you know, if if anything goes wrong. Uh, you know, in terms of the internet or terms of streaming or whatever, just you know, you have a, you're good, you're fine, you're personally fine, and that's what I want for everybody. Um, uh, you know, personally. So yeah, it's uh, it just just you know, if you go if you leave with anything, just know streaming is not the be all and end all. So finish up on the arts, and this is uh, from uh, It's Nice That. This is actually what the website is called. Uh, this is by Jem Fletcher, and it's called uh, Why Making Good Work Is No Longer Enough. And um, I, I really feel this piece whole, whole, wholeheartedly, man. I really, I feel this fucking piece to my depths of my soul. So with that said, let's jump right in. So much has changed since the onslaught of the pandemic. Life has been interrupted, lost, and reconfigured. Like it or not, the world is not the same. We're not the same. So many of us are exhausted, searching for change. Uh, We crave a new type of life, one that is more intentional and immersive, with a deeper connection to the people, places, and things we love. At the same time, many of us are simply desperate for safety, support, and stability. What unites us is that we can't go back to what what was, uh, but the future path is still unclear. The creative industry prides itself on innovation, connecting with people and good ideas, but if we are honest with ourselves, how much of this is feeding to feeding the beast rather than building the kind of future we actually want? Time after time, we've seen brands cash in on marginalised communities and social justice movements, feigning support for self-interest, or only ensuring that if they profit from a community, they also fuel it. 
the industry is still hung up on systems and storytelling with little to no accountability for the people or for the planet. There is endless talk of innovation, but is anyone doing it? We feel stuck in a holding pattern of the same hierarchies, methodologies, and most dangerously, the same values. So, where does this leave us? How can we start to understand that we all play an active role in determining what comes next? If we want to build new systems, a healthy industry, and a better world, making good work is not enough. We need to be using the tools, talent, and resources at our disposal to begin the kind of grassroots action that isn't flashy, viral, and PRable. Uh, the type that isn't about us at all, but about supporting our communities, environment, and mental health in meaning wa- meaningful ways that build a new world over time. We need to centre care as a creative principle. Quote, <coughs> quote uh, Our mission is to leave the world as a, uh, a little less shit than it was yesterday, says Lydia Pang of Morning, the digital strategy and uh, conscious storytelling studio co-founded with Sam Jackson, is built around the principle that we all have a quote a responsibility to right the wrongs and push cultures uh, push culture forward unquote. Morning people, um, it said morning first and now it says morning people. So morning people is a monthly fund that fuels creative projects that ordinarily sit on the fringes. Quote: I want morning to be a safe home for those ideas. Lydia tells me so much work created in these days is about likes or shares, reach or resale. Uh, I just like the idea of birthing meaningful and beautiful work for good. I want to support the folk who are brave enough to make work that pushes culture forward. Unquote. In the last five months, Morning People has funded a... Uh, <laughs> I don't like the term BIPOC, but it's there. Um, BIPOC uh, creative coaching program, Instagram filter designers, photographers, and a risograph studio. I don't know what risograph is, but I'll Google that later. Um... Uh, I think we're living in a different world now, uh, Lydia shares. It's uglier because we are sat in, in more truth, and although it's uncomfortable, it's good. It's pushing us to be better throughout, uh, through daily incremental change. I don't think any business out there should exist without building ethics and impact to their into their daily operations and vision. For us, it felt natural to work with the best clients in the world, help them tell stories ethically, excuse me, and then put some of that cash straight back into creative community. We knew we wanted there to be a circular, circular, circularity within our model. We want Morning to be a place for change and also a place for creativity beyond client work to thrive. Knowing we're doing this makes me feel calm and excited The Morning stands for something bigger. That we show up for our mission daily, pushing incremental change through our actions, Robin hooding that, Robin hooding that shit, unquote. As an industry, we often short-circuit in urgency for action and solutions. Slow, incremental change is the antithesis of our progress-driven mindset. We've built a system We've built a system where value is intrinsically linked to spectacle and novelty, perception and performativity. Uh, while there is a place for that, that seemingly, this seemingly end the stream of virtue signaling is mimicking consciousness raising rather than embodying it. While so many of the challenges we face on our planet often feel insurmountable, Doing things that radically change people's daily lives are crucial to chipping away at the bigger issues. Quote, uh, the real, the only real place you can start is that which is, is that which we, oh God, start is that which is within your control. Okay, Jesus Christ, our business and ourselves, uh, says David Johnston, uh, founder of Accept and Proceed. In 2020, 
The London-based design studio launched Kill Your Engine to open up a difficult yet urgent conversation about idling cars' exhaust emissions outside school gates. These emissions produce up to twice as many fumes as a car in motion, leaving London kids at risk of massive exposure. The personal project was born from David's conversation with a fellow parent who wanted to ask people to kill their engine, but felt the request was too uncomfortable or provocative. Quote, it was the exact. It was the that exact discomfort that catalyzed the campaign. He explains, "Why should it feel uncomfortable to cut pollution, especially in school areas for pe- and for people who need our protection the most?" Unquote. What began as an awareness campaign at one school in Hackney was scaled via a digital platform, so schools and parents worldwide can arm themselves with the facts and create customized posters to educate and ch- uh, create change around this often overlooked but urgent issue. Quote, Caring about the local and global environment is the responsibility of every organization individual. Given what's coming down the track, uh, most current, most organizations' current value position, proposition is terminal, David says. Uh, this is based on the fact that if you were to account environmental and sustainability factors into business property uh, properly, uh, 78% of those currently listed would be unviable. A fact we learned from Indy Johar, founder of Dark Matter Labs, during one of the prototyping sessions, uh, prototype sessions, unquote. Uh, small, scalable, and effective projects like Kill Your Engine demonstrate how centering care allows us to collectively co curate new possibilities. While there is power in numbers, the agency of individuals is not going to, not to be underestimated. Fuck gatekeeping, it, the knowledge based site that provides accessible inf- information about building a career in the photo industry, was born in the summer of 2020 by three US based photographers, Jared Suarez. Uh, Carmen Chan and Emiliano Granado. After Carmen opened up to ske- opened up her schedule for one-hour mentoring, mentoring session for photographers from underrepresented communities, Jared then Emiliano followed suit. They hit a nerve, receiving a huge response, and fuck gatekeeping was born. Uh, quote, what was immediately obvious to us was that many photographers had very similar questions and there were very few resources answer- answering them, says Emiliano. Gatekeeping, gatekeeping is systemic. It's a lack of access to education, financial resources, information, access to experience, etc. It's very much a nuanced situation. My goal is to convert my knowledge and experiences into accessible information for others, which they may not be able to access otherwise. Unquote. Like many creative industries, photography has been uh, has long been plagued by a lack of transparency and nepotism, resulting in a rampant uh, sense of individualism. Fuck gatekeeping seeks to dismantle this by enabling emerging photographers to attain agency en masse. Uh, uh, quote, when I first started working independently, the notion of the lone wolf photographer was still popping, especially in photojournalism, explains Jared. This, creates, this created an atmosphere that felt cold and encouraged the hoarding of information. At the time, I didn't know this, that this was gatekeeping. I just thought that I was late to the party. My initial desire was to do my part in attempting to level the playing field. As it stands today, I'm more interested in listening to the questions that we're receiving to see how fuck gatekeeping can expand as the audience and the industry change over time. Unquote. While photographers cherish the site, it also illuminates how photo editors and commissioners can better support the photo community and confront their unconscious bias. Quote, my main goal is to bring awareness to the power uh, that everyone has, you and I included, to be a gatekeeper, says Carmen. I realised that, uh, excuse me, I realised that gatekeepers can have a multitude of reasons for hiring the same people or type of person. I think the important part is to be aware of the of these patterns and their effect on the homogeneity of published work. 
in addition to the way they reinforce existing inequities in our industry and society, unquote. What is so generative about these initiatives is how they direct us to reflect on the conventions that underpin the creative industry. They all use culture to change the culture. Uh, they build value systems that speak for them, rejecting cynicism and hopelessness and contributing to a new era of care fueled by community action and hope. What I love most is that they hack the system to get it to do something that wasn't it wasn't designed to do. Care, while empowering communities and individuals in transformative and intimate ways. So, that was it. That's the entire thing. And, um, yeah, man, I just... I just... I love that. I love all of that. I, I can't I can't I can't tell you how um how much just um I I, I feel uh, akin especially to especially into the morning one. Um, you know, I wanted to do something of that nature. Um a seed was kinda of planted in my head of doing something of that nature um during the pandemic and um uh, you know, I still got it in my head. Um but uh yeah, I'm just I just I did attempt to sign it, but um, it kind of just fell through. But I still have that. I still have that one in my head. That one, two in my head to do that, and to um, you know, make it um, you know, where I can do my creative works and you know, go through that uh, process. But on the back of it, um, on the back of it, give back immediately. Not not like you know, um, yeah. Once you found a foot in, and once I found, once there's a foundation there. Um, you know, give back, you know what I mean, just, just help others, um, do theirs, you know, help others do their work, and, um, and, and be there for them, and, uh, you know, help a future generation of creative people, um, you know, the amount of, the amount of, like, lack of resources there are, um, you know, in, like, schools, for example, especially in schools, and, you know, extracurricular activities, the fact there's no more community centers about, like, where are these people learning this, you know what I mean, where can people learn, like, is it literally just YouTube University, is that literally it, where people ha uh, uh, can learn shit, because, um, you know, people don't have the ink, uh, the finances to uh, maybe, you know, um, teach, uh, teach a kid how to play the trombone or whatever, you know what I mean, if they want to, right, stuff like that, it's just, um, it, it's sad, and, um, you know, watching someone grow up not being able uh, to do their creative work um, to the best of their ability is sad, um, and, uh, you know, that, that needs to change, that really does need to change, I feel, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't really, I don't expect the government to do it anymore, I don't expect the powers that be to do it anymore, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there are plenty of, um, you know, there's plenty of production companies about, but I don't see them, like, you know, doing community work, I really don't, I honestly don't, I really don't, um, you know, they, 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 they stop at a certain level, you know what I mean, they don't, they, my, my, my way of thinking about it was that, you know, it, I'm, I'm saying this from an individual standpoint, but, um, you know, you can add it to production companies and, you know, powers of B as well, um, you know, they spend so much time, trying to catapult themselves into the sky, right, and once they do catapult themselves into the sky, they don't, they don't fly down to reach back, to re to reach and help people up, you know what I mean, and once they've found that ability to fly, they don't come down and help people fly, you know, they don't help people make their own catapult, you know what I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about, they only work with people that already have their own catapult, they're already flying, and, you know, they're fine, they're good, but then here's, you know, here's, Joe over there, you know, trying to, trying to do his own thing, and he could really do that help, but it just never, but, you know, it just never comes, 
Um, and you know, some people persevere, and that's great. Um, but easily can be just you know eat a, more of a leg up. I'm not even talking about nepotism, but you know, if they're talented, they should be given resources to to unleash that talent. Um, and that's what I want for a lot of people. But um, and myself, obviously, selfishly, but um, you know, is yeah. But shout out to Morning and shout out to that article, man. That's um, that's just really. This is really hits me right where I right in the right in the right in the soul where I, where I you know constantly I'm constantly thinking about those kind of things and uh, you know trying to build something uh, build something genuine that people can uh, magnet uh, uh, people can um, uh, magnetize to you know what I mean to attach to and to uh, I can so I can help them build as well as you know helping them fulfill. Um, just my want to help others um, creatively, and I do. I do. I help people, you know, do like uh, writing. I help people do podcasting and stuff. You know, I always help people improve. Um, but um, I want to do more of that, definitely. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network, I've been trying to tell you this been what's good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. You can find that link in the full show notes. Thanks to the Chill Breakers for being to use the track. You can also find their link in the full show notes. And thanks to Happy High for the BSU's charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I should always try and do the same. Long read dropping tomorrow. Uh, stay tuned for that. And until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.